Hey there, West Virginia fans. It's Chris Anderson, publisher of Earsports.com, the West Virginia site on the 247sports.com network. Just wanted to take a few seconds before today's podcast where Mike and I discuss the basketball team to remind you that today, Monday, November 28th, is the final day to jump in on our 75% off deal. It's going to be a wild next couple of weeks. Whether West Virginia makes a change on their football head coach, hires an athletic director, or just has to deal with the transfer portal ins and outs plus signing day. So please do not miss out on your final opportunity to jump in at 75% off. That is about $2 a month to get the best WVU coverage on the web with the largest Mountaineer message board. Deal ends at midnight. Jump in now. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com. A CBS Sports Podcast. I am Mike Casaza from Morgantown, West Virginia, here to talk about the high-rising team in the Ken Pomeroy ratings. The fifth-place team at the Phil Knight Legacy event, the West Virginia Mountaineers. Chris Anderson, we uh, seem like we got something on the burner here. It's starting to boil a little bit, huh? Absolutely. And I want to start things off by asking you a question I asked our message board uh, and it's related to your question there. Fifth place team? Technically, yes. But is it out of the realm of possibility that either A, West Virginia was the second best team there, or at least for the week of Thanksgiving, the second best performing team in that tournament? Yeah. Number one's Purdue. Mm hmm. Purdue beats Duke, number eight in the country, by 19 and really pulls away in that game. Purdue beats Gonzaga, number six in the country, number one in the preseason, right? Yeah. By 18. And neither of those games were – like West Virginia's game was seven, I think, with like four minutes left, yeah. three minutes left. Yeah. Neither of those games were single digits in the last like six, seven minutes. Purdue beats West Virginia ranked ninth in the preseason poll – in the Big 12 <laughs> by 12, and maybe this is like being around the traditional West Virginia fandom for so long, but a lot of what ifs and what abouts and things like that from that game that I'm not saying you blame a variable or a factor that you have no control over, but sure, you can look at a lot of things and go, well, if that had been a little bit, excuse me, if that had been a little bit different, then perhaps the outcome is different too. No such story the last two games. It's got me all choked up. I'm sorry. That's all right, Mike. I, I I didn't want to get you all emotional with that, thinking of a good West Virginia team again, because I think in the preseason I had put this team as I can't remember what the exact number I picked. You know, something like 17 and 14 or whatever it was, and and said they a solid NIT, NIT team. And you'll get the argument from from some people that West Virginia is an NCAA tournament team because of the the schedule and because I believe that the Big 12 is going to be the toughest conference in the country. I, I don't I, I it's weird. This this Florida game, they beat Florida so badly, they made them look so bad that it was almost worse if they had won a close game, like at least as far as perception goes. This is just me. Like, this is pointless. Like, this is, you know, it's just my thoughts. But I was like, they beat Florida so bad that I'm thinking, wait, is Florida bad? 
Like, are we sure Florida's good? Like, you know, I know the preseason, everybody just assumed they were going to the NCAA tournament. Ken Palm had them ranked in the top 40 before this game, uh, or before the tournament at least. And so then just West Virginia beating them so severely that I thought maybe Florida is just a bad basketball team, but maybe West Virginia is just a good basketball team. I don't know. Like this, this, I didn't think this tournament would make me think so many things about West Virginia's basketball team. I guess your, your, what if a couple months from now is what if they didn't really beat anybody good in this tournament? Part of this is to go out and get a win on Sunday where you cut down the nets, go three and be the champion of the tournament. And that's a real resume boost. The other part is that you go in and you get a couple RPI games, a couple resume games, wins for you. It doesn't matter who you play, if you lose, but you win. Well, they lose to Purdue. They beat a Portland State team that I, I have no idea what the expectation is for Portland State basketball this year, but you're not going to make your season on that win. And then Florida, oh, yeah, bad game, or is that a first-year coach? That's probably not going to be it. Uh, they're right in the middle. I think they're actually they're 17th. They're seventh in the 14-team preseason SEC. It had some some good moments early this season, but they were just completely unglued in that game, which is that that looked like a team that had a lot of transfers and a first year coach that had just not come together yet. Whereas West Virginia looked like a team that has a lot of transfers and a Hall of Fame coach, but the buy in is pretty good right now. I think it, at the very least, if you're West Virginia, you can say two and one played very well in the last two games after a I would say a respectable performance in the first game. Nothing wrong with that. And then all the computers and the numbers seem to reciprocate the the positive vibe that comes out of that because they're they're really moving up. I think a lot of people are talking about them and saying, oh, this looks a lot more like a Huggins team. But I believe they were, correct me if I'm wrong here, Chris, but they were 70-something in the beginning of the season of the Kempom, right? 75, 76? Somewhere in that range, yeah. 29 today. And their defense is number 23 in his adjusted metric. Not a surprise. Chris, their offense is number 40. And look at the scores. This is 80-plus in four straight games. Their low point is 75 points right now. Um, I don't want to say it's not supposed to happen that way for a Huggins team, but it's not supposed to happen this way for a Huggins team that doesn't really get a lot of second shots because it doesn't rebound very well, turns the ball over a lot. Those are the two things I'm sure he's harping about in practice. But also has so many new parts, but they're they're playing pretty competent offensive basketball, and they, they can find a way to put some runs on people despite not getting a lot of second shots and giving away possessions. Yeah, and a lot of it has to do with um, creating turnovers, you know, turning defense into offense, but they are not I, – I, I'm, I'm trying to decide if – I, I haven't <clears> – <throat> need to look this up right this second and go through game by game, but I'm – in the tournament at least – that pin that Purdue game. Uh, a lot of that has to do with having a seven foot four center in the paint. West Virginia was not shooting, you know, driving to the basket as much. They were shooting a lot of threes. And that be pretty, I don't want to say that's what this team is built for. And it seems like in the games where they do not rely on the three, where they do not sit around the three point line and, you know, try to force up threes, their offense is cooking. It's moving well. I mean, again, that's the one game they lost, and that was the game I felt like, at least in the first half, they were really trying to force some threes. Um, again, seven foot four center. Maybe you're not driving as much, but this offense, when it just feels the flow and is not like, hey, 
I screened here, so I should catch it here. And this is where I should be like, no, 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 just react instead of, you know, pre-planning what you're supposed to do. And they started doing that after the first like few minutes because they did it in the first in the first couple minutes of that Florida game. They were just like a robot and turned it over multiple times. They started getting free flowing. They started driving to the basket and just seeing what happened, uh, forcing turnovers, creating fast break points. I think this is a team that that can find points and they have variety too, which is another big point. Um, because what you go back to like last year, you know, like, hey, need a basket. Who's getting it? It's like Taz. All right. He's guarded. Who else? Taz. Can, can we try again? Can we go back to him again? Or can we set 18 screens for Sean McNeil? Other than that, you know, that's it. This team has some options, and I think that that is helping as well. They're going to get better soon, too. They're going to get Perez, and I forget what um the play-by-play said last night, but according to Huggins, if he's not a starter right away, he's going to be heavy minutes right away. That's encouraging. But you're looking at a handful of guys right now who have between, what, 7 and 15 points a game. That's pretty good. And then here's where things get a little surprising. There are there are what you would call like Bob Huggins stats, right? You can just kind of imagine, okay, that's what a Huggins team is going to do. For example, shooting 35% from three. Eh, not great, right? Uh, don't take a lot of attempts per game. 20, that's actually kind of a lot, but still. But you're talking like 132, 259, perimeter shooting, not always a strength. I do feel like there's guys in this team who can get you a couple threes if you're down a couple buckets. Or if you're in a back and forth game, you want to make some room. I feel like they do have some shooters that can do that. Chris, they're number 20 in field goal percentage. They're shooting 50% for the year right now. Six games, including three in a tournament where sometimes teams just kind of play poorly on that third day or just not as well against teams that they're quickly preparing for. But they've been pretty good for a couple of games in a row. As I said, the, the 80 points of four in a row is probably not a fluke. NCAA has some cool new stats that they're tracking this year, and these are ones that they have talked about, the team, and fortunately we can track. Fast break points. They're getting 17.5 per game. That is 21 in the country. And bench points, 34.5 per game, number 18 in the country. Those Mm -hmm. are stats. Take it off the rim, get a steal, do something and run, and then our 12, 13, heck, 14 this year is better than your 12, 13, 14, like we have no problem, West Virginia, playing deep into our bench because we'll overwhelm you. And then if your 11th and 12th guys can't handle it, you're going to pay. Uh, Florida did not did not have a bench, did not have an answer inside, especially when they got into foul trouble really early in that game. Like they, they were like, we're in foul trouble. How do we fix that? By playing guys with fouls. And it's a small thing, but the fact that you can go Bell, uh, Wagee, Okonkwo, you could throw in a little bit of Trey Mitchell down there if you need to because he can score with his back to the basket. They just have ways, like you said, different options to get offense. Um, this is early. You're, you're swooning about a fifth-place team in a tournament that they didn't win. I understand that, but this this probably accomplished a lot of what they wanted to accomplish where some perceptions about themselves, whether it was outside or, or within, do seem to be coming realities or inching toward reality when it comes to some stats that are going to define who they are and how far they go this season. Yeah, and I think the more, the further along we get, and, and again, that Jose Perez is, is the wrench that's going to get thrown in here. And that's not, not 
that kind of, I guess, has a ne- negative connotation saying it's a wrench, but it's going to be a twist. It's going to be, you know, maybe a great twist. I feel like the rotation is pretty clear here. Now, you maybe say well, they're playing 10, 11, 12 guys every game. Yeah and no, because it, it seems like there's a three of Stevenson, Mitchell, and Matthews. And then you kind of have your center, which is a, a, a smorgasbord of Waggy and Bell with a little Conquo sprinkled in there. And then at point guard, it's Keedy and Toussaint, with Toussaint kind of taking on a bigger role as, as things go on. And, you know, so obviously sometimes they play together. Um, discussion for another day there, but where is Perez taking minutes here, Mike? Like, is that going to just kind of suck up the minutes from, you know, those guys who are getting – you know, 10 minutes a game like that are coming out like Kobe Johnson or something where Josiah Harris is now, you know, you're not really going to see that much. Just so where, where are those minutes coming from? My question about them, what I wanted to see, I think was what they do in the backcourt. I just, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how realistic it is to play Toussaint and Johnson, Kedra and Johnson together a whole lot. I just don't know about that. Now, Toussaint, I say that, has been, I don't know, what do you say, like a plus shooter from three-point range? But he's six for 21, so I'm not sure that's a great number. He, he got hot a little bit early on. I think he was maybe four out of five in two games, but come back to earth before and after that, too. But he's a two, right? So he's going to play. And if this team isn't a three-point shooting team, then he can kind of fit in there and not disrupt things. So Perez being the guy I'm talking about here. So I would think that, yeah. He dips into the pockets of Seth Wilson and Kobe Johnson, but also the pockets of the collective Kedrian Johnson, Joe Toussaint, um, which is maybe not a bad thing there. It's a big guard they're going to be able to play. Not a great perimeter shooter, but I've also told like to look at his teammates and things like that, the shots he had to take, and was he really a three-point shooter or did he have to do that stuff? I'm sure there's some of that. I'm not sure that makes him a 40% three-point shooter, but sometimes you're the victim of your teammates and you have to do stuff maybe you're not supposed to do. Um He's going to get backward minutes for sure. Does he start? I don't know how you start him. They got a pretty good thing going now. They're starting five. Can he get in right away? Does he jump in line? Probably. Trouble is that, like, I don't think Seth Wilson had a bad tournament. Um, right now, he's at 41% from three-point range, playing 15 minutes a game. Uh, Kobe Johnson um, is 10 to 15 this year shooting. That's pretty good. Um, he's efficient. Got a weird jump shot, doesn't he, Chris? Yes, but he does. They they're they're good parts and good pieces, and and again, I thought they both played within themselves and didn't hear footsteps and didn't say time is ticking and I got to do this. No, they just kind of did the things they're supposed to do, which isn't a lot, but that's not a bad thing either, and that's kind of a sign of where this team is. They're all kind of like locked in on what they wanted to do for that week, and that's good. But I don't know how well he can cut into minutes. Like they're not going to take Emma Matthews off the floor as witnessed by his wonderful dunk. <laughs> and then, uh-oh, pointing at the guy that he's supposed to be guarding moment there. Um, stay in the floor. Like, you, you can kind of trust him to not do that again, and he's played okay. Mitchell's not coming off the floor. They're going to play those two together an awful lot. Gives him a lot of perimeter skill and size from the post on the wing, too, which is kind of an interesting combination. Um, he's going to play, and they're going to be big. And that's what I noticed yesterday, Chris. 
they were bigger than Florida, like thicker for sure, but they were longer, taller, ran around and caused a lot of problems with their length against what's a pretty athletic team. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but they looked like just a much bigger, longer team that was going to give people problems with their size. And they're going to add a six, five guy in the backcourt, which is kind of a fun puzzle piece to think about right now. All right, real quick side, side poll for you, Mike, which dunk was better? Emmett Matthews's dunk and then point to his guy that he's supposed to be guarding or Eric Stevenson's dunk and then screaming whatever it was he screamed at the Florida cheerleader that caused her to drop her mouth agape and her friend look at her like, oh, my God. Isn't it fun to have a fun team? <laughs> yes, it is. Like, I'm glad we can have these conversations. Yeah, like this is fun. Like basketball in, in some sense is a bunch of vignettes because there's so many things that happen all the time. And you're, you're together a lot for, for things like this, too. And you're in hotel rooms and you kind of get weird. And man, if you remember that that final four team, they shot those videos in the hotel where they were just kind of goofballs, but having a great time and how like relaxed they were. And, and I think people were taken aback by how much fun they were having when the stakes are really high. This is a very unfair comparison, but like this is like such a weird mix. It seems to be getting along and, and very comfortable in their own skin right away. Which again, for so many new people who are trying to get to know the person next to them, but also the coach, the offense, the campus, the conference, all that stuff, to see them like so at ease and so loose and so confident in who they are, that's that's pretty fun to watch. And again, like college sports are supposed to be fun. I'm not saying like dunk and taunt cheerleaders. I'm not saying dunk and forget to cover your guy. Um, that that to me is just kind of fun to watch. Let me let me ask you a question, Chris. Emmett Matthews. Mm-hmm. Or Malachi Ruffin. <laughs> I love it. It's a great play by Matthews. Like he sees that guy, can't guard him. He knows that. He backs it up, dribbles and drives and dunks, points. And the guy that's guarding him is near him. And Matthews suddenly realizes, wait a minute, I'm not guarding him. I'm guarding the other guy. Uh, probably should point at him and probably should have somebody go and get him. Uh, Kugel catches it, runs, dunks, and Huggins is just like, He's the we were talking about the the pot on the burner. The the smoke was just emanating from his ears at that moment. But yeah, you can tell Matthew say hey, maybe don't do that. And and he goes out and he plays fine. Uh, Thirteen shots kind of authoritative for him, but pretty good start to the second half where they kind of blew him away. So again, pick their spots there. They were good. I mean, never never got threatened in that game. And again, shot fifty percent for the second half, at fifty percent for the year. Um, so now what, Chris? They got some time off. They play on the road. In Cincinnati against what looks like a an adequate Xavier team here. Sean Miller has that going quickly. Probably not a surprise. That's usually a good program. He's not a bad coach. A little bit of an emotional thing, I think. Bob Huggins going back there. He's had some wars against Xavier as a Cincinnati coach. Um, another test, but this ought to be a pretty productive, pretty interesting week of practice, I would think, too. Yeah, I would think. And this is this is another opportunity because I mentioned it in the Raptor Reactions uh, message board post I put up after the game last night. There are basically four opportunities to get a good non-conference win, something that you really want to put at the top of your resume. Um, not to kind of belittle the other teams that are on, on West Virginia's schedule, but it was basically, given the way it played out in the tournament, Purdue, Florida, they're one for one so far, or one and one so far. And then all you have left really is Xavier, which is this weekend, and then Auburn 
as part of the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Now, am I am I forgetting somebody here? Like, I, am I putting down the other non-conference opponents too far? UAB is probably pretty good. Okay, they were maybe five last year. All right, so maybe you're up to five. But, but like, my point is, class for sure, is your opportunities to make an impact outside of your conference, at least as far as the NCAA tournament is concerned and your resume is concerned, are few and far between. It just so happens that they're not that far between right now because there's like three and four games. So West Virginia needs to kind of, you know, stay up for this one. This is this is an important one. This is one of those ones that could be the difference between, you know, 18 and 14, you know, 18, 14 record and in, in the NCAA tournament or 17, 15 and sitting in the NIT. So this is one of those games you really may not think much about, but is extremely important on the resume. Yeah, because the Big 12, um, that's going to be like a seven-course meal. Texas is one, Ken Palm. Baylor, eight. Kansas, 18. Texas Tech, 26. West Virginia, 29. Oklahoma, which had a terrible loss to start the year, six and one now. They're 31. Oklahoma State's 34. TCU, a lot of people thought that was maybe your preseason dark horse in the conference, 39. Iowa State slipped a little bit last night with a loss. They're 47. Kansas State's 50. Chris, the entire conference is in the Kempom top 50 uh, entering December. That's that's not going to be fun to play if you're if you're an adequate team. Like this is going to separate things. You're not going to have you're not going to have five top 50 teams at the end. I don't think you're probably going to have a separation and teams rise and fall. The preseason early conference tournaments early the preseason tournaments before conference play those are always kind of misleading but you do find some risers in purdue for example who thought that was going to be like a top 10 team at the end of the week not me but they're probably going to be up there right now too so to get one yeah that's great especially if you squandered that chance against uh purdue which again maybe nothing wrong with that a couple weeks now i made look like a pretty reasonable loss heck it might even right now but if they don't get florida what have you accomplished out there you went all the way out there you went one and two and you beat portland state no you beat a florida team that has a pulse probably is better than it played and again, like you said, made something out of that trip with not that many opportunities. And if the season is to be made in Big 12 play, you took a little bit of heat off yourself there by giving yourself a quality win. And you could do the same again against Xavier and Purdue, which again, excuse me, Xavier and UAB, which before the end of the month, you'll have those two under your belt. And they get two wins there. That'll be really important. Uh, real quick, Chris, before we go, mm-hmm. something, someone that, that has your attention that maybe we're not talking about when it comes to this team. We've covered a bunch. Maybe I stole your thunder, which about time if I did after all the football season shenanigans you pulled on me but it's got your attention the big man excuse me I I the waggy and bell not that I didn't think much of their additions but I thought to myself man I feel like these are two decent junior college players but where is the guy you know where is the guy that they're going to bring in to be the big man on this team you know they went out they got eric stevenson they went out they got trey mitchell they went out they got joe tucson and you're thinking wow those, those are some some dudes some guys with a proven you know major college track record and then at the big spot the number five spot huggins's favorite spot they go junior college with two guys who did not have a lot of like offers, like they, it wasn't like they were coveted by a bunch of teams. So, 
in my mind, again, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, belittling their additions and thinking, well, that, that was a big swing and a miss, but I was thinking both of them were more of a, I guess, role player. Like, Hey, they, they can both defend the rim. They seem so much more than that. Like, I mean, Bell is a good defender. Offensive game is whatever, but he is, he is crashing the boards. He is, he, he, very simple offensive uh, offensive moves, which is good because God knows I have complained about some of the big men in recent years trying to do all this fancy stuff in the post when it's just, hey, you are huge. Just turn over your left shoulder and put up a little baby hook, a little, little jump hook. That's all you need to do. Stop trying to do something special. And that's all Bell does. Like He just goes, drops his shoulder, little baby hook over his left shoulder. Or grabs an offensive rebound and just goes right back up with it. Uh, Wagi, I was stunned in the game. God, what was that? It was back in Morgantown. It was before the tournament. He he spun uh, baseline side underneath and then went reverse layup. And I thought, wow, I was not expecting that kind of footwork from him. These are two great additions. Like, are either of them going to go 20 and 10? Probably not. But... They are excellent compliments to each other. They're excellent compliments to the rest of the team. And I think they knocked that five spot out of the park. They, they knocked the five spot out of the park without it not hitting a home run. If like what I just said, I don't know if that makes sense, but it feels like it makes sense to me because those were just two great additions and that I, neither of them I thought were, you know, the most coveted big men on the market. Maybe they know what they're doing. You think, like, I don't know, guy who runs the portal. Maybe there's a team. I, I don't know if he's, you know, checked in with our message board. Like, you know, that's where the real experts are. So, mm-hmm. just saying. Um, there is some offensive skill on this team, which is not a surprise to me. They're shooting it okay. They have some guys who can get you buckets. You mentioned all that. What surprises me is they're not doing it with a lot of assists. Just not. Um, right now, I'm looking at it here. They are number 239 in the country in assists to basket ratio. They get an assist on fewer than half their baskets. And last night was a good example of that. Now, some of that is they are getting steals and transition. Um, not a lot of offensive rebound putbacks. Those are unassisted. But they have guys who can get the ball and score. And if you watch, for example, Kedrian Johnson, He'll dribble and he'll see an opening. He'll drive. Eric Stevenson can do that too. Joe Tucson can do that. They have guys who can get a basket at the end of a shot clock in transition. Makes those fast break points. Those aren't really assisted usually. They used to work so hard to get baskets, Chris, right? And their passing wasn't great and things could really come off the rail. They would kind of dent the floor with some dribbles at the top of the key. They'd throw the ball sideways, have to reach for a pass. It would ruin all that stuff. It just didn't look great offensively. They don't necessarily pass the ball perfectly right now, but they're still getting a lot of points at baskets without assists. And I think in time, the scoring will come down. They probably won't have as many unassisted baskets. They might not have as much transition. All the stats that look pretty cool right now, but they might be able to supplement that by just passing better and getting to know each other better and getting to know the offense better. So that could be really interesting to see how right now having to thrive without assists and just taking off the bounce and doing something on your own. If that blends into wait a minute, this pass made it a lot easier to score. That'll be pretty cool. And I take one example last night. Uh, Wagee is setting a high screen for Stevenson and cuts. And 
that's like the Leonardo DiCaprio gif lean lean forward and point at the TV screen because that never happened in the past. Like there were so many times where a guy should have set a, set a high screen and run and catch a bounce pass or catch a pass above the rim and dunk it. And it, the pass never went. It wasn't triggered. Never mind. The, the play never happened. But Stevenson throws that pass. And Wagi, I don't know if it wasn't a great pass or if he was surprised, but he kind of has to throw a paw up and grab it. He has the shot block. He sticks with it. He scores in the second chance on assisted basket. But a pretty good pass and, and a nice piece of offense by those two. My point being here is that at some point, that high screen and roll is going to become a lot more rehearsed and a lot easier to execute. And all of a sudden, it's going to be a bounce pass and a layup or a lob pass and a dunk or a, a pass, catch, let the defense fly by, go up, two-hand layup off the backboard. Heck, dunk it, I don't care. But you're going to see things like that that get a little bit better. In which case, the offense might really have something here, too, because they can stretch teams out. They are spreading the floor, and you're seeing alleys open for guys like Keydrian Johnson or Joe Tucson or Emmett Matthews for a dunk. That's promising right now. And then just for me, selfishly, I love watching Mitchell play when he scores and never dribbles. Like, he just catches it in a spot, doesn't have to dribble to get to a spot, doesn't do the work after he catches it. He does all the work before he catches it and then just turns and shoots. That's a fun thing for me to watch, and that means easy offense for a guy like him. Um, teams will stop him from getting to his spots, I'm sure. He took a lot of shots last night, kind of unlike him. He still makes it look pretty easy. Like, this is a team that that could have a pretty good offense before time with it irons things out, which I kind of expect they would. Why wouldn't they at this point? And the most important thing, Mike, for everybody, is that guys are making shots. Yeah, I, we can't even say that anymore. They, like they legitimately are. I mean, West Virginia University men's basketball team currently has a player shooting almost 50% from three-point range and as a team are almost shooting 50% from the floor. And the same guy drives and dunks and goes in traffic and makes layups. Like he's he's a pretty good all-around player too. Like it's it's an offensive gift right there. And I know sometimes it's too much for teams to handle. And the start of that second half, I think they were 10 for 11 to start the second half last night, blew the game open. And by the way, talking about Florida, Chris, they haven't lost a game by that much in 24 years. Wow. Uh, last wow, time wow. they lost a game like that, they lost uh, 91 to 55, um, 56, I'm sorry, February 10th, 1999 against Tennessee. Um that's a pretty good program. Usually with pretty good athletes. Again, it's Florida. I don't have to tell you that. And West Virginia put it on them like they hadn't had done in a quarter century. Pretty good bet in your cap. Yes, yes, it is. Man, you got to be thinking about who was on that Tennessee basketball team back then. Hmm. Well, how about the team that was on that had Florida's or the team that Florida had? They were had uh, Mike Miller, Udonis Haslam. Pretty good players. Yeah, not bad. Also, the coaches. John Pelfrey, Anthony Grant on the staff with Billy Donovan. They went 22-9 uh-huh. and nine that year. Had a bad night, but again, doesn't happen to that school very often. West Virginia added to the history. Coming up on the site, Chris, what do you have? Uh, up on the site right now, I got a little VIP buzz on what's going on with West Virginia's scholarship situation, what their plan is for recruiting. Um like I said, no matter what happens with the coaching staff, things are going to get weird and wild with recruiting, transfer portal, all that stuff. It's going to be 
a ridiculous next couple of weeks. And, and as I stated on our last podcast, these next 30 days are now the most important 30 days when it comes to shaping your roster for the next season. Like, bar none. It's not even close because you have the transfer portal open. You're losing players, gaining players, <clears throat> and signing day at the same time. So these next 30 days are the most important days possible for next year's roster. I believe I will write a little bit about athletic director and head coaching dynamics. Can can anybody handle it after last night's halftime update that might have sent our message board into a tailspin? We'll see. Uh, no BOG meeting today, by the way. Okay. Also, my apologies to Teddy Dupay. I forgot he was on that team, that Florida team. Look at that now. Teddy Dupay, Mike Miller, Udonis Haslam. Major Parker was on that team, too. He wasn't great that year, but I think he became a pretty good player, if I remember correctly, in his career. And that's enough memory lane. Yes, it is. Wrapping it up here. Thanks for stopping by. Basketball season, Chris. Thanks for the Mountaineers for uh, sending us off into a fun new season, huh? Absolutely. Could be. Could bring the joy back to the WVU Coliseum that, that was kind of missing last year. So, Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time.